brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hi, this is James Joker, most of webcomics reviews and interviews. Tonight we're talking with Gary Phillips, writer. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. I am mostly a, uh, or I, I sort of came on the scene as a uh, crime fiction uh, prose writer some years ago. Uh, in fact, my first novel is called Violent Spring. It's set in the aftermath of the uh, 92 uh, riots, civil unrest here in Los Angeles. Uh, and then, but I've always been, uh, I grew up in South Central, but I've always been a comics fan, uh, particularly, of course, Marvel and back in the day, but, but, uh, you know, pretty much a lot of different comics these days. And I've always had a love of, uh, of wanting to write comics or a desire to write comics. And so I think finally when I got my, I think it was about my second novel published, I, it gave me a little bit of, um, cachet to uh to use some of that to uh uh get some editors attention and in fact they even got i finally wound up uh doing a uh miniseries back in the days of vertigo when will dennis well when vertigo existed and will dennis was there uh, and in fact I, I did a uh uh private eye miniseries called angel town uh back for them way back when that uh, sean martinborough uh illustrated so all that to say is that uh Prose led me to comics, and comics has led me back to prose. And these days, I kind of do a mix of both uh, uh, some uh, comics projects as well as then uh, I'm working on a uh, novella right now for uh, TKO Studios, but I guess I'll plug that later. And then uh, some short stories. And I kind of, um, for me now, it's very comfortable that I sort of go back and forth between the world of uh sequential, sequential, uh, storytelling and, uh, pro storytelling. And I think both actually both those worlds help inform one to the other. Working with Will Dennis would have been really interesting to do. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, absolutely. Will was a great, uh, still is a great editor. He's a freelance editor these days. And of course, as we know, uh, Vertigo as a, as a unit, uh, of DC comics doesn't exist. Uh, any longer, but, but he was great to work with and he had reached out to me because at that point I had done a couple of crime miniseries for Oni, uh, comics, which I guess now is Oni or Lion Forge Oni, but back in those days it was still just Oni. And, uh, he had liked, uh, he had liked that. And so that's how he reached out to me. And of course at that point, Vertigo was looking to bring in, um, different writers. Uh, who were, weren't just, uh, comics writers. And in fact, not only did I do Angel Town miniseries, uh, for Will for a brief moment, which was really great, uh, Vertical had started its own crime line and they issued these great, 
uh, digest sized. Uh, first they did hardcover, then they, they would do them in trade paper. They were black and white um, crime novels, crime graphic novels. Uh, Max Allen Collins did one. Actually, it was a continuation of his Road to Perdition uh, characters. Uh, I did one called Cowboys, and they had and they had Ian Rankin, who's a known uh, British uh, crime writer, did one. So they had a lot of different people, both com- in comics and out of comics, uh, do these great um, digest size uh, crime fiction uh, uh, graphic novels for the Vertigo crime line, which unfortunately did not last long, but it, it was a real blast. And uh, Brian Hurt, in fact, illustrated uh, the uh, the story I did. And uh, we had a lot of fun. Yeah, there's a lot of history in comics regarding crime stories. I mean, not just the, not just the indirect, but also just back in the late 40s, early 50s, before the uh, major crisis happened. Right. That's uh, absolutely exactly uh, exactly. And, and of course, the, the <laughs> thinking about that, I was thinking about uh, how. Uh, um, what was it, Gaines, yeah, uh, from uh, EC Comics or uh, got uh, crucified essentially during that Senate uh, a hearing on the, you know, the, the link between, uh, I guess, uh, comics and juvenile delinquency. But in terms of that, uh, uh, those uh, salacious covers that he did uh, for EC Comics, including, I believe, the one where the woman has her head cut off and the guy's holding it and the axe is in his hand and all this and the eyes are turned up in the head. I think that was one of the ones they used. I think it was Crime Suspense Stories, right? And they, that was one of the ones that was uh, that was used as a way to uh, to uh, uh, lambast him uh, for uh, you know uh, bringing down the youth of our nation. Yeah. All right. So when it comes to writing a crime story, what exactly are the main things that are part of that story? What are basically the major tropes? You know, the major tropes. It's funny to think about that now because. Uh, I, and I did think about it in the context of we want to talk about obviously the writing and the, and the uh, mechanics and the technical aspects as well as the uh, more I suppose ethereal aspects of, of writing crime stories. Um, and there's very there's so certainly one of the tropes is you know it's either the 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 uh, in noir usually it's somebody who's a, a normal person who somehow gets sucked into uh, a, a kind of abnormal underworld. Sometimes it's of their own making, of their own greed or their own lust. And sometimes uh, they're just the sap, the fall guy, um, the patsy. And it doesn't have to be a man. It could certainly be a woman as well. Uh, one of the old tropes, of course, is the femme fatale, which I think, though, is really gone by, uh, pretty much gone by the wayside. I mean, I think it still shows up now and then, but certainly in the modern world, there's a, a lot more variations, a lot more riffs on uh, the female as the protagonist, the female as the fall, fall guy, the fall person, uh, or the female as the one who solves uh, the case. Uh, so, so that's sort of in, you know, that, 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 that's, so noir is one niche. Another niche, of course, is the, is the crime, is the uh, police procedural. Uh, Harry Bosch being a good example of that, I suppose, uh, which is, uh, I think it's still on on Amazon Prime from Michael Conley's uh, series of best selling novels about this LAPD detective in, in a modern LA setting. Uh, and the private eye. The private eye, of course, is the, is the great, uh, iconic, uh, figure in the crime story. And, and particularly because the private eye, and I, I mostly write private eye stories when I write those kind of stories. The private eye is the person, the man or woman who 
uh, has who has the ability to go uh, into various parts of society, be it uh, working class or more uh, Tony areas of town. And they have to move across these various strata because part of their job, of course, is, is or their job is to find out the truth, to find out the, the why and the whereof. And invariably, that might take them across these various lines. So all that is to say is I think that you as the writer of crime fiction, uh, in, a, in a certain way, you have to be an archaeologist. You have to understand uh, the setting that you're writing in. And that doesn't mean that you have to live there. But for instance, uh, if I were to write a story set in San Francisco, uh, and I haven't lived in San Francisco in many, many a moon, uh, I would have to talk to some people who live there. I would prefer to even go there and see it for myself. Uh, just so I would understand what is, what is, what is the San Francisco that you might have in your head from all these old movies versus the San Francisco of reality, right? The San Francisco of now. And so I think in that way, and even for me, as somebody who grew up in Los Angeles, I, I you know, the city is constantly changing and reinventing itself. And so even I have to go out sometimes and, either, you know, hang out in a certain area or talk to people or read up some articles. But in particular, the more you can talk to somebody who's from that area, the better it is. Uh, and so that you that you can absorb and get a sense of an understanding of uh, what that area is like, because you're going to put it down on the page. Now, the other benefit, though, of writing uh, as a when you particularly when you're writing a, a private eye story, the private eye is the outsider as well. So you do have a certain flexibility, a certain leeway because the private eye, the private eye is learning about that area uh, as the reader is learning about that area uh, that you're, you know, you're informing them. You're not going to do an information dump, but you wanted to make it a rich uh, and uh, vibrant um, landscape that your character goes through. So I think those are, to me, those are the things that you want to keep in mind, even understanding there are certain, listen, there's only, there's only really what? five or six or seven different plots, right? Greed, lust, I don't know, avarice. Uh, there's a few others, I suppose, right? So, so given that, what, 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 what do you bring to the table in terms of your variation uh, on those kind of uh, biblical themes, if you will? The obligatory, I got three interjections real quick. Um, first off, just uh, the femme fatale, we've seen because of the number of, a lot more female writers. We've gotten to see a lot of situ the femme fatale used to be basically what we call a disposable character. That is, she, she's brought in basically to heighten the drama, fall in love with the private eye, whoever, and then basically create a little bit of to raise her stakes through something bad that happens to her usually. Yeah. Uh, thanks to women in refrigerators, where we've seen a definite decrease in that over the years. Yes. Which is not, I don't see as really a bad thing. In fact, what I like is to see is occasionally when they trade, uh, change things up a little bit and have the guy is basically to be the love interest to get, well, bad things happen to him. <laughs> exactly. Two, you're starting to see a lot of, I'm going to point out real quick that you don't have to keep it necessarily in the past or anything. You don't have to go like noirish or anything like that. Um, I'm going to point out, again, sci-fi geek here. So I have to, obviously you have to point out that when we start talking detective stories and we start talking noir, I definitely have to bring up Blade Runner. Okay. It's just straight up. I think it's arguably one of the best detective stories out there. 
and it's definitely not exactly something you'd be seeing in, uh, you know, the old 1920s L.A. type of thing. No, although it did sort of have a certain retro feel to it. Yeah, absolutely. It didn't help that with the buildings used and all that were actually specifically places that were set specifically for that particular setting. So Right, exactly. That's right. Uh, in fact, the one of the best books on the one of the best books on Blade Runner is actually called film. Uh, sorry, uh, Future and Future Noir. Huh. So, but I just I it's just you start when you start looking at the detective story when you start breaking it down into what it has, you start seeing it all over the place in a lot of different genres. That's true. That's very true. Well, and it, and in some ways, I mean, the detective really. Uh, is just a a kind of antecedent to the you know to the cowboy to the gunslinger to the loner who comes to town. Yeah, I mean you definitely see a lot of it's just sort of interesting to see where y'all you start seeing a lot of the stuff where the they just solve the crimes a little bit differently. Right. Um, Humphrey Bogart versus Shane, for example. Which <laughs> is probably a weird way of looking at it, but there we go. But and of course I figure I and I guess I better bring in a mention of Remington Steel just to be really obnoxious. <laughs> I I actually watched some Remington Steels. Yes. Well, I suppose that the the uh, the comedy. Uh, well, and comedy has certainly infused a lot of detective stories. Now, hasn't it? I mean, I, I mean, it's actually some people argue that The Big Sleep with Bogart and Bacall is. Uh, is a, in a certain way a kind of comedy given their, you know, repartee between the two characters. Uh, but yeah, it's, it is certainly the case that, that, uh, and there have been, they've, you know, they've been very successful. In fact, what was the, the recent film? I just saw it. Knives Out, right? A good example of something that blended, right? In terms of, yeah, comedy and, and a, and a mystery element to it as well. And a, and a strange, odd detective. Right. The reason, of course, I'm bringing up Remington still isn't necessarily because of the rom-com situation. There's definitely that, but because they try to subvert the genre by taking a what you should. Well, basically, in an FBI situation, you expect a handsome male to basically do all the detective detectiving, and in this case, you actually had a, a female who was the actual detective who uses the guy as the figurehead. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. For the agency. Right. Which I just thought, just thought was, even as a kid, thought that was a seriously cool situation to set up. <laughs> it was, and it was a good, it, and exactly, it was, and it was a good uh, riff on the genre and the and the notion that, uh, as we've talked about this, the idea of the the changing role of the woman in detective fiction. Right. In fact, there were a lot of really interesting det- uh, female detectives around that time. In comics, for example, there was uh, Johnny Thunder and Dakota North. No, oh, yeah, that's true. That's right. That's right. In fact, not recently, not too long ago, I was looking at my my collection of Dakota Norse. That was Marvel, right? Yeah, that was good. That was actually pretty good. Pretty good uh, series. 
And, of course, if we're going to bring up uh, detectives, we, in comic books, obviously, we can't forget about certain Mr. Wayne. <laughs> well, yes, yes, that is true. Although, I guess recently, or I haven't, I've, I've, I've really fallen off of, my God, there's, how many Batman titles are there now? I don't know how many there are now. Uh, uh, I, I, I guess he still uses his detective skills, right? I mean, I, I'm just not certainly, certainly at one point that was really played up, right? He was the, you know, the great, the world's greatest detective and all that. And, and, and that was really a, a very particular angle of the character. And you would see that, right? He would, he would, you know, collect fibers and, and collect various, you know, uh, microscopic clues from the, from the crime scene. I, I think there's probably been a less and less of that, uh, lately in the various incarnations. And it's kind of interesting. It's, it is kind of sad that you've kind of lost some of that. In fact, I have among my old collection, I have that, I believe it's the, is it maybe the, it was some kind of anniversary of Detective Comics where it was it was written. There was a story in there. It was a prose story, in fact, written by uh, Walter Gibson, the man who wrote uh, The Shadow. Uh, and I think I, I want to say it's Batman meets uh, Sherlock Holmes. I can't quite remember the story, but I know there's a Walter Gibson story in that in that particular uh, anniversary issue. I want to say it's the one that basically brought up a lot of interesting detectives together. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. And, of course, we found out that Sherlock's home actually is in a DC universe. <laughs> That's right. At least it was. Exactly. Well, and, and in fact, he's in every universe now because it's been established that, that the majority of the short stories are in public domain. Yeah. No, but just establishing that a lot of the stuff, a lot of the teams we're talking in terms of tropes and all that are nicely universal. <clears throat> so it's sort of interesting to right. see how they apply. Right, exactly. So, um, in terms of creating a story, how do you have to plot a great detective story in order to make it work? Well, that's a very, that's actually the, that's always the, the big question. Um, I, well, I'll say it two different ways. For the novel, you have all the real estate in the world to write your story. Uh, so for the novel, you have, Possibly the you usually have some somehow you have the main crime or the main MacGuffin, right? The MacGuffin being, you know, the thing that they're looking for. The Maltese Falcon being a great example of that. Uh, or somebody's been killed or somebody's gone missing. And, you know, uh, that person's uh, loved one comes to the detective and that sets things in motion. Or sometimes it's a personal reason the detective is set in motion. Uh, but invariably in a novel, you have a chance to create. Uh, at least with the detective story, you have a chance to create various subplots. Some of those being things that illuminate something about the character, uh, that you're writing about, something about maybe their backstory that you also want to, uh, to bring to light. And invariably, of course, something about their backstory that has, uh, an effect that has a reverberation uh, as to who they are and what they've become, uh, today. Uh, in a short story, and there and and there might very well be even in the novel, there might very well be uh, a few twists along the way, a few cliffhangers, as well as then there may be a twist ending, or there may not be a twist ending in the, in the terms of the reveal. Uh, in a short story, uh, in a mystery short story, you invariably do try to have more of a twist ending, or more of a, a kind of um, I don't want to say shock. You don't want to just shock for the sake of shock, but you do try to figure out. 
how in that short space of time, what what is going to be different about how this case is resolved than the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other cases you've either seen or read about? And why is this one going to be different? Why is this one going to to be more uh, something that stays in your mind? So I think that's that's a kind of interesting burden, I think, for the modern uh, writer to have, given that there's all this other material that has come before us. Uh, how do we, you know, again, how do we make that story fresh? And I think that's, I think that's one of the things that you want to think about constantly as a writer. I mean, not that it's a, a thing that's going to give you a headache every night, but I think you do want to think that in every scene, in every scene you do in the book or in the short story, but particularly in the book and even in the comic, right? Those scenes have to mean something, right? They have to either show us something about the character, move the plot along, move the story along, or in the best of cases, they do both things at the same time. They don't all, that doesn't always happen, but but the more you can do that, and the more you can you can give us something, give us the reader, the viewer, something about the interplay between these characters that's somewhat different, that gives us some idea about how they might be seen. The same characters always want something. They always want and in that want is the conflict that then you're going to use to help build your story. So you always want to sort of keep that in mind. How can I even create, not that everybody has to be shouting in each, in each scene, but how can I create these little, maybe even little micro tensions that exist there that you don't necessarily recognize as the reader, but later on you come to understand, oh yeah, that's, that scene meant something because you know, they, they were at odds, but they weren't, they weren't yelling at each other or whatever, but, they clearly wanted two different things and maybe that pays off somewhere down the line. Yeah. I also think that uh, the, because again, you're trying to find something different. I think that theme also plays a lot, a major role in defining a, a, a crime novel. But the web plays a major role. The theme, what's the story oh, the is theme, actually yes. about. Yes. Well, yes. No, that's true. Obviously. Yes. No, there's no doubt about it. Uh, but some crime novels, you know, have interesting, I mean, some themes are more um, psychological in nature, and some themes are more just because of just the modern world, or some themes are more have a more socio-political uh, context, right? So that so, and sometimes those things again can dovetail. Uh, but absolutely, that the 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 thematic structure or the structure you want to impose, and then you and by the way, when you when you when you write these stories, you don't necessarily have to think about what, well, you do have to think about the structure eventually, of course you do, but I think I think what I want to do as a writer, what I think people should try to think about as a writer is, first you want to assemble who the characters are, you want to have some sense of who they these people are, that now you've just, we come to them uh, born and, and whole person on the page, I think the more you can figure out the more you've written a little biography about them that, that we don't necessarily see as the as the reader, but the more that you know about this person, the better then you can then give them dimension on the page, and the better then I think you can then worry about or construct what it is that you want as the thematic structure that will hold uh, your story together. Yeah, Hillshock had a little bit of fun with the concept. I like yeah. how some some cases when he started figuring out how to deal with the murder, he would actually he wouldn't actually solve it. He wouldn't actually start with the item. He would actually figure out how he wanted to set up the murder, and then make sure that the items were in the place prior to that scene. Yes, yeah. A variation of Chekhov's gun, if you will. That's right, exactly. Chekhov's gun. There you go. 
That's right. If you introduce it, you got to use it. I mean, I was watching one movie where he basically had a, what was it? I can't remember the name of the movie now. But he ended up having the uh, woman kill the guy with a pair of scissors. Oh. Um, oh, isn't that uh, Dial in for Murder? He is. Obviously, it was set up so that the, you know that the scissors were in the scene prior to that. Right. And it was basically set up. I mean, it was just, the way it was written, it was to me as a writer, it was just obvious that, you know, he hadn't actually figured out what the murder was going to happen. He just basically did it. He wrote it and figured it out and then backtracked in the script a little bit. And in that case, wasn't it that the husband was trying to kill her? Oh, that's right. Okay. It's been a while because I think it's, I, I remember the, is it Ray Milan? I think it's Ray Milan. And it's been remade, I guess, a couple of times. But yes, that's right. Yeah, Dial M is always one of those ones you actually they just they have a little too much fun with. <laughs> Sorry, it's one of those things you catch in a lot of the like, especially with CW. Is occasionally one of the themes that comes up is they'll start having fun with a particular type of genre. Yeah. And one of the ones they keep having fun with that keeps coming back is the old um, noir stuff from the nineteen nineteen forties. Right. In fact, I think Legacy was the last, last show I can think of that actually decided to have fun with it. I dig it. Exactly. Well, remember, I remember, too, on the uh, oh, uh, on uh, uh, Star Trek Next Generation, remember, I think there was occasional times when uh, Picard would be uh, Dixon Hill. Uh, yeah, yeah, on the holodeck. And they would, I think there was one time where they had to, somehow they had to solve the case in the holodeck, but it had something to do with affecting the ship. Anyway, I always thought those were pretty clever. No, it's just it's not it's not the virus. It's for some I I <laughs> I can assure you it's not that. Don't feel bad. I've got a dry cough right now because of the wet change in seat. <laughs> My roommates keep a very close eye on me. Very good. Very good. That's it. So but what I'm looking at in terms of construct is what if you were to construct a crime novel, how would you do it? Well, I mean, I do it all the time. Um, I don't know why this is such a fun question, because you, a lot of writers tend to do a lot of stuff automatically, and they tend to forget how they actually pull it off. Oh, well, I, I'm not I'm not a uh, uh, what do you call it? A seat of the pants writer. I actually work from an outline. So in the outline, I try to solve. Obviously, I try to solve what's going to be the big reveal, but I also try to solve, as, as I uh, talked a little bit about, Jameis, I try to solve who the character is and why is it they're doing what they're doing, right? They're not just doing it for the for the money. They're not just doing it for uh, the little bit of fame and glory. They, there must be something driving that character. And so what is it What is it about that character's past? What is it about, what is it about that character right now? That now has put them in motion. Why do they, you know, why do they stay in motion, right? Why do they stay stay on the case? So I try to answer as best I can both uh, my plot points as well as then uh, psychologically, at least in terms of the main character or main character set of characters, what it is that's making them do what they do, and and you know what and what is it? I mean, obviously they want something. They want an object, or they want justice, or they want. Uh, world peace. They want something. So how, how, what is it that they, if I can answer those questions for myself, 
then I feel a little bit more confident that as I start to write the story, um, and I'll invariably uh, deviate from the outline that I've uh, that I've written. But as long as I kind of keep in mind or have in mind in, in terms of my notes or other notes that I might make as I as I write as I continue to to construct the story, if I have those questions in mind and I have those and I and I may change I may change those answers. I, I, one time I was about oh my god I was about halfway through a book I was about forty thousand words in and even though you know, I have this outline. I finally figured out, oh, what, oh, this is what, it, this wasn't a mystery story. It was kind of a crime story. It was about a career criminal who might, who might, he's concerned. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, any where with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus considering retiring or he might not retire and he might try to do one last job i finally figured out oh that's really what the character wants and once i kind of figured that out then i could go back to the some of the pages to the pages i had already written and change some things to better uh, serve as a, you know, as a kind of guide, as a better serve as a kind of anchor to why it is that he's doing what he's doing in the latter half of the book. So, I, so I guess I say that to say that, yes, I think for me, I think working from an outline, whether it's loose or tight, is helpful. But as it's, it is also helpful then uh, to be uh, to be flexible, to know that as you go, as you start to get this book shaped up. There are things that are going to come up that then we're going to change the way you're going to tell that story. And this is also true, I think, for comics, even though and for comics, you know, I, I might sell a story based on an outline or miniseries based on an outline. Um, but even in the in the telling of the story, I, I did a story not well a couple of years ago for Boom about a uh, money launderer. Right. So this is a guy who deals with a criminal element on a uh, <laughs> daily basis. But I, but once I figured out this was a character who, in fact, he was not he was not into money. He 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 wasn't a money launderer because of money. He was a money launderer for a different reason. So once I figured that out, once I once I had that sort of interesting little quirk to the character, then I then I could tell the story, and then I could then I knew what what, what would motivate him, uh, and and what would either uh, make him do the right thing or not do the right thing. So in essence, you're more worried about building up the villain as main character in a weird way, right? Because the main character was the anti-hero, and but although although there was a you know and invariably in these kind of stories, the anti there's a there's an anti-hero and then there's a there's a really a big bad. So there was a big bad, uh, and and that big bad of course wanted the money, and our guy who's trying to protect these people who have the money is doing it for a different reason than uh, just making his uh, percentage. And so once I 
once you could sort of figure that character out, then you knew that, okay, he's not going to succumb to the usual temptations. There are other temptations he will succumb to, but he won't succumb to the things of just being bought off or just for greed. Okay. And, of course, the fun question is, how much fun do you have constructing red herrings? <laughs> That's a good question. That's an excellent question. I, and, I, yeah, and, I, and these days, I think, you know, you know, the audience, the readership, they're very uh, astute. So uh, I think you have to be careful about being, you don't want to become too cute about that stuff. Uh, <laughs> you, you invariably, I mean, it's, I think you want to, you, you, right. So the question is, you know, how much do you mislead <laughs> without really pissing off the audience? So they, you know, they throw the comic book down or throw the book down. So, yeah, I guess there's some kind of happy balance about that. Uh, and I, I, I have to say there are some stories I tell. There's no red herrings per se. There's some twists and turns in terms of, you know, psychologically what people might do. But, uh, although that's not true, like, I, I did write a story where that, you know, pretty much a recent story where the thing they were after is not really the thing, right? It's not really the, the, the MacGuffin is really a red herring. Um, but I think, I guess my, my feeling is you want, you don't want to be too cute because I think you'll piss off the audience. But I think you, there's ways of doing it, but I think you got to be, it's walking, it's, it is walking a tightrope. I really believe it's walking a tightrope because I, you certainly see some things where you go, Oh, really? That was, that meant nothing. We just watched that for no reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I was like, you don't want to do that. So I think, I think, you know, you, you got to pay it off. You got to pay it off. So I think, you, but I think you have to be, have to be kind of leery about how you pay it off. Yeah, I've always found the ideal is to tick the audience off just enough that, yes, they do throw the book down, but they pick it right back up to figure out what's going on. There you go. That's true. That's exactly right. Yeah. But sometimes that's no easy feat, so there you go. And that's definitely one you've got to watch out for. I mean, I hate going back to the horror movies, but you tend to see a lot of jump scares be used pretty much in the same light. Yeah. You know, they'll hear some noise, they'll investigate and find out it's just a cat. Right, right. Then back off by about 20 steps and there's the killer. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it's been some really great, it's just, there's a lot of movies lately you tend to see people try to get what you point out too cute with the red herring and it just doesn't just fall flat, but it just causes people to want to shoot things. Exactly. And not in a good way. No, not in a good way. That's right. Not in a good way. So yeah, you you want to be a little bit uh you know delicate. You want to be uh parse that out, parse that out uh uh not in big big doses, uh, you know, just just little bits, little bits. Alright, so obviously I brought up one of my big guns, Blade Runner. Um how do you feel about un- the usual suspects? The movie? I haven't seen it in a long time. I do remember, uh, I thought it was clever. I thought it was, uh, uh, I don't know if it holds up. When, cause when did it come out? I want to say early nineties. Yeah. Is that, yeah, it must be. It must be. Um, I remember being impressed at the time. Uh, I remember that I thought that, uh, the filmmakers played fair, right? That the clue, the clues were all there, right? And in fact, we, I, I recall, we see some of that in the flashback, right? Or several flashbacks. 
Yeah, taking a step back, 1995, by the way. There you go. There we go. There we go. Uh, so, uh, but, uh, yeah, no, it, it was certainly a very strong film for the time period. Um, and, uh, you know, and it certainly, I, I guess in a certain way, uh, you know, paved the way for certain films of that, of that ilk. Uh, but it was, it was certainly, I, I recall it being very, uh, clever. Was that McQuaid? Was that who that was? The, the writer director. It was a writer director, correct? Yeah. 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 Uh, McQuarrie. McQuarrie. There we go. That's it. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think the usual suspects definitely holds up. I mean, it holds up well enough that you tend to see that used almost as a joke in a lot, on, on a lot of different. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Or for, or sometimes referring to people as, as you know, or a certain villain as a kind of Kaiser Sose. Yeah, yeah. But I think what's really cool about that movie is how you set up the um, the red herring on that, which is it turns out that the person they think is the leader is actually just the sidekick. Right. <laughs> That's it. Exactly. Sorry, it's just there's very few movies I can watch more than once, and that's one of those few that actually comes up, that actually oh, works for me. All right on, right on, very good, very good. It's not necessarily that I catch all the details on the first run through, but some I catch enough that once I see the actually how it unfolds, it's just I can't go back and watch it. And yeah. some usual suspects, because of the way you built it up and all that, it was just fun going back even like two or three times just to figure out how they did all that. Exactly. Right. There you go. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a good sign. That's right. Yeah. Um, we're seeing a lot of, and when it comes to detectives, we're definitely seeing a lot of that coming back. I mean, we're starting to see, and obviously we've got thousand and one different police procedurals. Um, you know, uh, NBC is pretty much nothing but police. <laughs> But there are some that, that pretty much are, I think, are sort of interesting, like uh, Magnum PI, the current, the revamp. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just sort of cool because we're going back to the femme fatale where you basically had the woman was pretty much there and may have provided all the drama and the clues and all that, and as well as the impetus, you know. Mm. At the same time, you don't have anybody who's like Higgins to a certain degree today. Right. Have you watched new uh, Magnum PI? I watched a couple of episodes of that. Uh, I tell you though, I was, uh, the stuff I've been watching, uh, I was a Mr. Robot fan, which was really weird and, and strange. And then kind of got let down, I thought, in the last, uh, uh, last couple of episodes of the last season. Uh, and now lately then, uh, I've been watching, uh, oh, it's a kind of interesting, uh, it's called Giri Haji. It's both, uh, which Giri is, uh, Japanese for, uh, duty, duty, and Haji is, uh, dishonor or something. Or, anyway, the point being that it's about, it's about a, uh, cop in Tokyo who has to come to London to find his, his ne'er-do-well brother who's, who, who has, who has been a Yakuza, uh, uh, hitman. And it's kind of trippy. It's very interesting, um, uh, on Netflix. And then, uh, lately, because I was a fan of his novels, uh, there's a, uh, version of Briar Patch that's been playing, I guess, or, or I guess it's finishing up on USA. I'm just catching up on it now, uh, based on a novel by Ross Thomas and it's with, uh, Rosario Dawson. 
as this uh, woman who comes back to her uh, small Texas town uh, to find out who killed her her cop uh, sister. So I've been enjoying that. Right. Uh, just because the translation literally comes down to duty, shame. There you go, shame. That's right. There we go. That's it. There we go. But yeah, it's just sort of interesting stuff to see what they're actually trying to pull off in terms of detective stories now. Oh yeah, and well, and and mystery and and, and crime story. I'm, I like, you know, I was a big Breaking Bad fan. Uh, the big fan of Better Call Saul, and these are all, you know, from the points of view of the villain, right? The points of view of our of our true antiheroes. Um, I'm trying to think. Is Magnum PI the only PI series currently on? In terms of actual being an actual PI, probably. Yeah, probably. There's been I know there's a, there was an attempt to there's been several attempts to revive uh, a, Mar, a, a Philip Marlowe uh, uh, PI. I think there was even an attempt to revive the Rockford Files, which I guess did not did not work. That's interesting. I'm, I, I, I would think that uh, a few more PIs will show up, but it, but it is interesting at this moment. I think, I think Magna might be the only PI show on. The qualification I'll throw in is there are a couple of other PI shows, but they tend to be more drama-based than de- uh, detective-based, basically. What? Which is what? Uh, you have. Um, I want to say like uh, I want to say Donovan. Oh, Ray Donovan. Yeah, but he's not really a PI. He's a fixer or something, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's just when yeah. you start seeing a lot of crime dramas, they're not necessarily yeah. emphasis. What I consider a crime drama is something like either you know on the stretch of either Magnum PI where you've got an actual detective going at it. Right. Um, I want to say some of the police procedurals are more more drama than they are actual solving a crime. <laughs> there you go. Right. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's funny you said. I, I I generally like I I I don't watch any of the. I've long since stopped watching the uh, the Dick Wolf ones. The uh, SVU's Law and Order. Law and Order. Yeah, yeah. FBI. Yes, I no, I don't watch it. I have no interest in any of that anymore. It's funny. I, yeah, I'm not. Yeah. That's just not my. Uh, it's just not my cup of tea, I guess. Well, maybe it's also because I've never. I think I've only written one police procedural. Well, now the Shield. Now wait a minute. The Shield. No, that was my idea of a, <laughs> of a cop. The Shield and Justifier were the, probably two exceptions, but there were those are certainly different kinds of shows than 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 you know a network show. Yeah, yeah. The Shield was actually more of a again more of an anti-hero theme. Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah, they were straight up murderers. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, geez, I know how police dramas have changed since over the years. Yeah. Talk to me about the commission sometime. Right. I know. Isn't that funny? That's right. But, you know, it's just. Okay, so summing up real quick. When it comes <laughs> down to it, you can actually starting to hit that point. Don't worry, we still have questions left. Um,. So something up. Basically, we're starting to look at when you start creating a crime thing, you basically have to figure out where you're going with it or be willing to adapt to it as necessary. The you definitely have to have a strong motivation for your main character, be it the antihero, the bad guy, or the good guy, or whatever. Right. 
There has to be some sort. In other words, basically, that person has to have a very strong motivation for what they're doing. Yes. There has to be some sort of MacGuffin, and it has. It's just a straight pure plot device. It doesn't necessarily have. It's not actually important. Well, going all the way back to the Maltese Falcon. Right. Did you actually know what the Maltese Falcon was at any given point? And did it matter? It didn't matter. Well, as as Spade himself says, it it mattered. It, it mattered to those people, right? It, it, it they they're the ones that thought it was important, or was that effect? Um, Spade never did, but um, and I don't I don't necessarily think you necessarily need a MacGuffin. I don't I don't necessarily need need something you're after um, uh, in a material way. It may be something you're after, you know, in a psychological way, uh, which probably gets more to the to who the character is. Uh, like yeah. you said, notes I didn't say you had to have it actually be important to the plot. You just simply had to have one. Yeah. So, you know, I could argue, I can make an argument in this regard that to a certain, well, I want to say the Lord of the Rings is a detective novel. That's because you had this big, huge MacGuffin that <laughs> mattered to everybody, but in and of itself didn't really, it could have been anything. It could have been a bow tie. Yeah, yeah. It didn't matter. It just mattered that you had something that people actually wanted. Wanted, exactly. That's right. That's right. And we're, that's right. And we're willing to kill for it. There you go. There you go. Good grief. I'd like to see NYPD Shire. <laughs> now you're talking. Now you got some. There you go. There you go. There you go, James. There you go. Pitch that. That's not bad. That's not all bad. All the crimes happen in a bar. <laughs> it doesn't go out of the bar. It stays in the bar. It stays in the bar. That's it. That's it. And just this guy sitting at the bar stool solving these crimes, exactly. <laughs> it's really that would be sort of a fun show. That would be. That would be actually that bad. That's not bad at all. But, uh, yeah. So, anyway, so basically you've got the, the strongly motivated characters, something everybody's out chasing. You've got some sort of definitely plot, and you've got to have a couple of weird twists and or red herrings every so often. There you go. Um. Geez, I've watched way too many movies and watched read too many comics. <laughs> that's it. And see, and that's why, and that's why, and that's why you, as a writer, somehow after all that, you got to try to keep one step ahead of the audience. But you know, invariably, you're not going to. So then the other trick is let the audience in on it and don't let the don't let the character in on it. So then the audience will stay involved because they're they're one up on the character. Right. Yeah. All right, so how do you feel about writing a story backwards? Uh, I never have, and I never will. I know that's going to sound – let me phrase that. <laughs> basically, whenever we start doing the outlines, one of the things I'll try to do is I'll try to speak – I'll do it one of two ways. I'll either basically do the straightforward, build it – you know, start with the usual. These are the characters. These are where I have to introduce. These are the incident. You know, the second day yeah. where everything bad happens and all that. Or I'll flip it around and – this is how I want the thing to end, and then build it backwards from there. Right. Yes. No. That. that yes. No. That. On that case, yes. There, although there's been also times when I've wanted a certain ending, and try as I might, I can't get to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're right. Yeah, that's true. Try. Try. You know. Or. Or sometimes you're. You're right. Sometimes it does happen that that because I wanted it, I knew I knew how I wanted it to end, whether it was tragic or what have you. Um. I was able to get there. So that's pretty satisfying. Yeah. 
And it's not as easy as it looks. Trust no. me on that. That's right. This is true. Good grief. I, we don't want to see when people watch me do outlines. <laughs> so, all right. So any final thoughts while we're coming down to a close? Well, I, you know, I just, uh, I guess I was just thinking more that, um, I'm all, I always encourage people who are, who are prose readers to, to take a chance on a graphic novel, whether it's a crime fiction graphic novel or sci-fi or what have you, because I think people will, uh, will enjoy the experience and understand that it's just another form of storytelling. And it's a, as we know, it's a wonderful form of, uh, of storytelling. Uh, and then the, and the other way around too, right? There are certainly people who, who, who read comics, but who don't necessarily read a lot of prose and, and I think they're lack they're they're missing something as well. And, and I think both these worlds uh, can coexist, uh, and both these worlds, uh, both these media, these types of media, uh, inform inform each other. Because so because certainly it's the case when I write a uh, when I write a comic script, I'm very influenced, of course, by uh, film and, and screenplays uh, and that sort of thing. But I try not to be overbearing because I understand that the that the artist is the uh is the storyteller here as well and that uh my job is to help you know uh facilitate it to make that happen yeah i personally think if person who's in the prose thinks that comic books are silly makes them read fantastic four versus x-men there you go the this is the, the new incarnation no oh yeah yeah of course yeah 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 that's shakespearean is like nobody's business there you go that's it that's it. But yeah, definitely. It's there's a lot of really cool stuff going on. In fact, it's sort of cool when you start realizing how much a lot of the classics have informed what we consider pop culture. Right. Exactly. Oh, absolutely. Forbidden Planet and the Tempest, for example, is a prime example for me. Sure, sure. And and sure, and, and you know, we all you know, we know that, you know, Lee and Kirby devoured all that kind of stuff and invariably and infused uh, you know, all that, all those characters, all those situations they, uh, they created. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just sort of fun when you start trying to track down where all the influences lie. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's very cool. In fact, there was a, uh, DC, maybe this was about a, year, I don't know. It was like the 100th anniversary of Jack Kirby, right? So DC did a series of like these one shots where the various artists and writers, would do a story, you know, with a Kirby character, but you know, to uh, as a as a as a as a homage to to Kirby. And one of the stories was really great because it involved it had the Sandman or Kirby's version of the Sandman, and he's fighting these you know weird villains of the id and what have you. And then what you realize at the end of the story is it's really about the young, you know, Jacob Kurtzberg and this kid. Is like, you know, his, his imagination is so vivid. His nightmares are so real to him that they, you know, they've sprung, sprung from his id. Uh, and, but, uh, but it's all the stuff that's going to eventually then, you know, power, you know, his creation, his work, not, you know, years later. It was a very cool story. Yeah. I think arguably one of the cooler, uh, homages to Kirby I've seen was, uh, believe it or not, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, really? Really? Right, uh, they managed to do an episode that uh, was basically a memorial to him. No kidding. Well, I'll have to hunt that down. That's great. That's very cool. There you go. Right on. All right. But yeah, 
anyway, doing the crime stuff is sort of cool because it's, like I said, when you start looking at it, it's got some really nice, well Shakespearean stuff going to it. You've got to know who the bad guys are, and you're trying to figure out all the stuff going on, and it's just you've got a lot of moving parts that are fun to watch collide. Exactly. That's right. So... I think that's to a degree why I can't really watch like you know the Dick Wolf stuff. It's decent stuff, but it just to me it lacks something. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe that is it. I I don't know what it is, but yeah, I just uh, yeah. <laughs> what? But who who, what, who am I to say the man's probably rich beyond means? So what do I know? Yeah, but I've always differentiated. There's a difference between. Doing stuff that's good versus stuff that's profitable. Well, to a degree. <laughs> to a degree. That's right. To a degree. Again, I'm a, right. I'm a Roger Corman. There you go. That's it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, Battle of the Planets. Don't come down and Roger Corman. <laughs> and he's still around, right? He's still he's still ninety someone. Yeah, yeah. He just had some big fight with his kids about their money or the money he's leaving them or not leaving them or something. I don't know. There you go. But I think it's I think what we're missing a lot in a lot of crime stories is they don't have the when you start looking back at the stuff like Humphrey Bogart, um, Alfred Hitchcock, that sort of thing, you see they have they were actually trying to have some fun with it and actually make a deeper statement. Right. It's just I'm not really seeing that in a lot of a lot of the T V shows. It's they're just trying to basically rip off the headlines type of thing. Right, exactly. Well, that's true, and it's but it's a you know it's the nature of TV, right? They got to crank it out. Yeah. Uh, there you go. There you go. Well, there's the trick again. The again, they got to walk that tightrope, that balancing act. Oh yeah, everything yeah. too. All right, so I guess the obligatory is any projects you'd like to plug. Well, I I just want to say, yeah, uh, if people want to uh, check out some of my work, there's currently uh, available the Bebop Barbarians, which is a uh, hardcover graphic novel uh, that uh, essentially takes, uh, looks at the 1950s, but uh, the uh, setup, the the, uh, template for the three characters are actually three, are based on three uh, black pioneers uh, of comics. Uh, Matt Baker, who died young. Uh, but who was who worked for various studios, including the Iger Studio, Iger Eisner Studio. Uh, Jackie Orms, the first black woman to have her own comic strip, uh, and a guy named Ollie Harrington. Now that I that, that's the real names, and then I use of course my own names for these uh, folks who inspire these characters. And they're three friends in the 1950s in New York City, and uh, the Red Scare is on, and comics one of the guys is a comics illustrator all of them are illustrators to some degree but one guy in particular right draws comics and uh things come to an interesting uh head uh and tension between the between the three characters uh so that's out now it's been out for for a little while and then upcoming i'll have in the summer a novel uh, about Matthew Henson who was uh, a real life character but i i uh, reinvent him as a pulp character set in the uh, late 1920s. Uh, and so I think that's going to be a lot of fun. Matthew Henson and the Ice Temple of Harlem. <laughs> <laughs> that's just sort of an interesting title by itself. Yes, by itself. Exactly. You want to grab them, want to grab them early. Got to grab them early. <laughs> All right. Well, it's nice to see you. you've got some really great stuff out there. 
Well, thanks, James. Yeah. So, all right. Um, and that's it. Okay. Nice to have you along. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. This episode of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews is brought to you by Podfaves.com. You love podcasts, but it's hard finding that next bingeable show. Podfaves has taken out the guesswork by easily identifying the best podcasts out there, so you can spend less time searching and more time listening. That's P-O-D-F-A-V-S dot com. And that's our show. For those interested in supporting the show, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash two sparrows, T-W-O. This features minicasts, the next episode, and unedited interviews, and I'm working on transcripts of the various shows. We also have an Alexis app offering two-minute minicasts offering writing and business tips, as well as affirmations to keep you writing. We also have curated playlists on YouTube, with all the shows broken down to different playlists based on topic. It also includes a good part of available minicasts, as well as the Alexis briefs. So please support our Patreon page, download the Alexis app, and subscribe to the YouTube channel, and please talk to us on Facebook. Thank you, and have a great day. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.